Brittany Higgins targeted as liberals flood the zone, pay rises for CEOs but not so much for you, and the good news is about reducing waste. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host Ben Davison and joining me is the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of QAnon and On, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, a 2022 Walkley Long List <laughs> nominee. They've just released a new edition and they've put the Walkley Nom on the cover. It's a bit exciting. It is a bit exciting. So yeah. you should totally buy the book. It's my wife and your friend, Van Batum. Oh, hi. How are you? Well, I've got this dog. He is very cute. He's so cute. I know. I've been out of the house uh, doing work things today. Exciting work things, good things, positive things, hopefully changing the world for the better things. But, you know, I come home and here you are, the dog. It's all cosy and comfortable. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous. To be fair, I did lose half of my working day to a migraine that made me thought think my skull was splitting. So... Swings and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts. And the dog was so cute, like he knew that something was wrong and crawled up and sort of nuzzled into me and I was on the couch like taking handfuls of painkillers just going, this has got to end. I'm a very busy person. And he was Dr. Germ. Dr. Germ. They call him Dr. Germ. He's not a real doctor, but he is a real germ. He is indeed. Speaking of germs, Van, the Liberal Party of (laughs) Australia. Beautiful segue. I knew you'd like that one. uh, Is flooding the zone. Aren't they flooding the zone? For those of you who haven't read QAnon and On, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults. What are you doing? Yeah, I devote some time to explaining the flood the zone concept. It comes from Steve Bannon. Boo. Boo, who is the Nathan Bedford Forrest of the modern right. In most ways, quite quite honestly, yeah. uh, and it's a tactic of his in which uh, he sows doubt. Yeah. He runs media campaigns to sow doubt around political issues that might benefit his opponents. So, for example, in the United States, job figures are really good. Biden's getting inflation under control. Union membership is going up. All these really great th- economic things Wages are happening. Wages are going up. So someone like Steve Bannon gets on his podcast, The War Room, a podcast that Ben and I outrage in Australia with the week on Wednesday, which makes us happy. Quite frequently, but we could do more, so don't we forget do to more. share this yeah, episode. Yeah, please do share the episode. But he will run a conspiracy theory, uh, share baseless rumours, demonise his political enemies, and it's to flood the media zone with a conversation that the Democrats aren't engaging in. Fox News do it all the time. Like if they don't want to talk about what's really going on, they bring up things like the war on gas stoves, which we talked about on this program a couple of months ago where they like a recommendation that America phase out gas stoves because they're dangerous and leak gas into your house, which I didn't know until this became a thing. Oh, you know, the government are coming for your gas stoves and we're going to defend our gas stoves with guns and whatever when really Biden's trying to talk about serious things like climate jobs and the war in Ukraine and the rest of it. That's an example of flooding the zone. And well, 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 here we are in Australia. It's 2023 and the the shared half of the ideological spectrum with uh, Steve Bannon is flooding the zone with Brittany Higgins and it is heartbreaking what is going on. So it is... For those who have struggled to keep up with this, and you're not alone, believe me, because I have struggled to keep up with this, the the situation, as I understand it, is effectively 
what the Liberal Party are trying to do is say that members of the Labor now government, then opposition, knew about the Brittany Higgins' allegations uh, against Bruce Lehrman uh, prior to the point at which it was publicly known that they knew and that somehow or another this implies a conspiracy by Labor with Higgins and her partner Shiraz to somehow or another undermine uh, the Morrison government. That, that's the sort of, that's kind of the um, kernel of, you know, issue. All around this now, though, is a huge amount of murk, murk and noise and flood the zone with murk. That's and, what's going on. And, and, and let's be really clear why some of this is happening. All right. I want to, I sort of want to go back just so everybody knows what we're talking about. Yeah. In 2019, Brittany Higgins, who was a Liberal Party staffer, who at the time I believe was working for Linda Reynolds, who was yep. a Liberal Party senator. Brittany and minister. H- and minister, yes, and minister of the Crown in the Morrison government. Brittany Higgins was out for drinks in Canberra with Bruce Lehrman, who was also a Liberal Party staffer. This is a Liberal Party do. Lehrman and Higgins came back to Parliament House very, very late at night and were let in by security. There is camera footage. None of this is disputed. Brittany Higgins was under the influence of alcohol. Her shoes had fallen off and was not what we would establish to be in a sound state to be doing anything. The allegations that resulted from that evening from Brittany Higgins that were raised with her employers the government yep. of Australia and the Liberal Party, who were the government at the time, was that she was sexually assaulted in Linda Reynolds's office by Bruce Lambert. They were the allegations that were made. Correct. These allegations were reported. Brittany Higgins um, and her partner, David Shiraz, um, represent, obviously experienced some degree of frustration with a lack of action. Brittany Higgins was moved to another office. I believe she was moved to Michaela Cash's office. Cash's office. And nothing happened. The same exit ramp that Alan Tudge's former staffer, who also had allegations against the Liberal Party. Rochelle Miller. Rochelle Miller. Uh, You know, the the Liberal Party off-ramp seems to go straight through Michaela Cash's office if you're a woman who is making been- allegations about the misbehaviour of Liberal Party-aligned men. Yes, apparently that is what has taken place. None of these facts are disputed. What is disputed is the veracity of the allegations made by Brittany Higgins. Yes. Obviously, whatever happened in that office, and, and there were no other witnesses to it. Yeah. Although security came in and are on the record as saying that Bryn Higgins was in a terrible state. This is reported yeah. on Four Corners yeah. in an investigation. So a, a court case uh, eventuated that Brittany Higgins has, had made complaints, was frustrated with the process and, and evasion of the justice that she believed she deserved. The court case collapsed because of juror misconduct. One of the jurors, despite being instructed very clearly by the judge not to play around on the internet and look at things that have been written about the case, went on the internet and looked around uh, things about the case and the case was thrown out. It was a mistrial. It was a mistrial. The prosecutor who was pursuing the action against uh, Bruce Lehman, the alleged, yeah. 
they made the decision that Brittany Higgins would not be able to mentally, physically, or in any other ways go through the process again. Yeah. Like rape trials are horrendous. They are absolutely horrendous. And we know the overwhelming majority of rape victims do not pursue justice uh, because of the adversarial nature of our court system is unbelievably difficult if you are traumatised. And I saw some stats today that showed that not only is it is it underreported, um, and uh, conviction rates are incredibly low. So the conviction rates are in the low twenty percent numbers. Oh, <laughs> conviction rates are in the low twenty percent, darling. Sorry, like prosecutions. Ca- prosecutions are in the twenty percent. Let's compare this to uh, prosecutions for assaulting a police officer. Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight percent. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you assault a police officer, there's a very high likelihood the charges will be pressed. So it's a very, it's an area of the law where the system routinely fails victims. And in this case, certainly uh, Brittany Higgins was clearly, according to the prosecution, not in a position to go through that again. There has now been defamation uh, claims made by Bruce Lehrman against, I believe, uh, the ABC. Channel 10. Channel 10. Yes, because when Brittany Higgins aired her allegations, yeah, and these are allegations because there is no court judgment on the yeah. veracity of them, that, yeah. has, that process was concluded yeah. thanks to juror misconduct, uh, Channel 10 with Lisa Wilkinson, highly respected journalist from yeah. the project, uh, there was an interview, an extensive interview with Brittany Higgins yeah. and a pre-interview before the filmed interview yeah. discussing her allegations. Yeah. So Bruce Lehrman is now seeking defamation proceedings against Channel 10 and I believe also the ABC. Yeah, for Four Corners. The for Four, four corners. corners for airing the allegations. Yeah. Right? Um, defamation is, of course, notoriously slippery yeah. in Australia, like could go in any direction. Just ask Ben Robert Smith. Just ask Ben Robert Smith, yes. Sometimes ask- sometimes the, the person bringing the defamation proceeding finds perhaps that was not the because it's a balance of probabilities. Balance of probabilities in balance a definition because it's a civil case, not a criminal one. Yeah, and, and truth and, and the contextual truth is a defence. It is. It, I mean, these are typically not cases that people of our station get involved in. No. Like I get defamed on the internet all the time. Yeah. I've never brought a defamation action because I don't have the kind of money. No. No, neither do I. And we and look, you know, if you're out there thinking maybe I'll defame Ben Event, please don't. Like yeah, we or, ask that you don't. Or go ahead because you know, like yeah. people do it every day. But so so this is now all kicking off. Yes, I also eat whales with my face. <laughs> um just throwing it in there, I'll defame myself or get ahead of it all. Shout out to all of our Norwegian listeners. <laughs> um so and Japanese and Icelandic. Uh, so yeah, you know. there you go. Uh so while this is all happening. There's now been a leak of text message exchanges between Brittany Higgins, David Shiraz, and Lisa Wilkinson, uh, and a leak of a recording of uh, Lisa Wilkinson, a leak of uh, there's now claims made against uh, what Katie Gallagher knew and when. Senator Katie Gallagher, who is now the Minister for Women and the Minister Minister for for Finance. Finance in the Albanese Labor government. And the Senator, we should point out, for Canberra, 
So the senator who actually would have been representing uh, Brittany Higgins and David Shiraz as residents of Canberra at the time, I, I believe. But this, and the reason why we talk about this as flooding the zone is because- It's confusing and mad. It's confusing, it's maddening, it's infuriating, and it's happening at the same time as Australia is undergoing some significant both economic structural reforms uh, at a macro level but a sort of micro level. Households are feeling uh, cost of living pressures. We've talked a lot on the show in recent weeks and months about the RBA and interest rate rises. We often talk about wages. The economic conditions are challenging. But polling has come out just this week that shows despite the economic conditions, the Albanese Labor government not only continues to enjoy a commanding lead over Dutton and his so-called liberals, they also enjoy a lead on all of those economic issues. Which traditionally have favoured the Liberal Party. Exactly. Even when Labor has been in government, they have struggled to get above the Liberals in terms of who do you think is best placed to manage A, the economy, B, wages, C, interest rates. Anthony Albanese and the Labor government are leading on all of those factors. Now, the last six months we've seen Dutton and Angus Taylor out there trying to go, it's Anthony Albanese's fault, it's Anthony Albanese's fault. Yeah, there's a global inflation problem, but somehow Anthony Albanese is to blame. But Dutton's numbers remain very, very low. Labor has... Despite the new glasses. (laughs) Labor has a almost 20-point lead on the two-party preferred. Angus Taylor, who at one point was being touted as a potential replacement for Dutton, the old opposition leader switcheroo routine, had a hit piece put out on him by Sky News, of all people, of course want the conservative Dutton to become Prime Minister. And, you know, the incompetent... Somewhat conservative, but perhaps not as malleable uh, ideologically, uh, Angus Taylor, who they just tore into. It's quite a remarkable piece. Their political editor pulled together a 90 second clip of the six months of Angus Taylor just getting it wrong, complete with the big buzzer noise every time he said the wrong thing. And, you know, quite an astounding attack piece. So they've tried to debate the issues for six months. Yeah, right? they're trying to debate the issues on traditional Liberal Party territory. And they're losing. And they're losing, all right, because that brand sunk uh, with Scott Morrison. Like as far as as far as I can read recent history, the most powerful representative they had of themselves as you know, the party of small business and entrepreneurship and freedom in the market and get up and go and those kind of traditional liberal values was Malcolm Turnbull and represented by people like Josh Freinberg and Kelly O'Dwyer and Julia Banks. They've all gone. Yeah. They either got out when the going was good or they were necked by the likes of Sky News, which is absolutely what happened to Turnbull. Yeah. Or there were people like Julie Banks who were like, you know, I used to make a lot more money having a lot more fun actually being a corporate lawyer. I'm out. 
So those those kind of the traditional branding, about the only person left standing in the Liberal Party who really represents that is, and I hate to say this, Andrew Bragg. We'll mention him in <laughs> a moment. I don't like him. No, and I don't like him either, and I don't share his ideological views, and I'm sure he's perfectly charming at a dinner party. Everybody to is. super. Yeah, but he's opposed to superannuation and he's our class enemy. I yeah. mean, let's be very, very clear. Yeah. But he represents that branding yeah. and he's at odds with them all the time. Yeah. He's in this sort of desperate hunt to reclaw teal territory. Yeah. But that traditional rule image we know has gone to the teals, absolutely. Yeah. So the, the situation that we're in is that they can't, get their branding back. They don't actually have the personnel to get their branding back. No one thinks of Peter Dutton in an economics frame. You think of him in a law and order frame, like looking yeah. at the issues that a centre-right party traditionally, I mean, we know He's what they're the going to the guy who put Border Force agents in militarised uniforms and marched them around the streets of Melbourne trying to check people's IDs. And laughed about people in low-lying island-based nations drowning from climate change. Yeah. Oh, like he's that guy. Yeah. And so the the economic stuff doesn't stick to him. And he hasn't held economic portfolios as far as I'm aware. If he ever did, I can't, I wouldn't associate him with that. But you think of him as home affairs, defence, copiness. Yeah. And that's the brand. I just want to remind everybody, he's always, every speech, he gave a speech today where he was talking about, oh, well, you know, as a former police officer, I want everyone to remember that that's part of the branding. Peter Dutton was an active member of the Liberal Party before he ever joined the police force. Yeah. You know, and certainly being from Queensland and LNP kind of, yeah. you know, that was very handy for his branding to, to become a police officer. But darlings, his first loyalty was always to his Liberal Party aspirations and I think that's very clear. So this this branding is failing for them. On the back of that, let's look at their analysis of what went wrong in the last election and their ability to say, well, Scott Morrison was a far-right weirdo who literally nobody trusted. Like, you know, people who voted for Scott Morrison generally didn't once they got to know him, I think is the the rule there. And the Brittany Higgins allegations, the original blow-up of that issue happened at a time where money was going into the teals, where the where Grace Tame was Australian of the Year. Britney Spears Britney Spears? Britney Higgins gave that famous dual presentation at the National Press Club, which yeah. I believe is another issue with oh, the Logan case. The the, I think it's that one, not the yeah. Four Corners one. Apologies to any producers of Four Corners who yes. are listening. And all of them who Ben yeah. and I are great fans of. <laughs> Um, National Press Club, and, of course, there was the March for Justice yeah. where you had organic protests around the country. I was in Wagga and spoke at yeah. a protest, like a 1,000 women on the streets of Wagga in the middle of the day on a weekday, you know, going, yeah. we won't stand for this anymore. Safe National Party seat, by the way, Wagga. Yeah, super safe National Party seat, yeah. the Riverina. It's McCormack, yeah, McCormack that guy. He used to be Deputy Prime Minister, I think. <laughs> Who would know? Anyway, oh, wow. like and like three years ago. Anyway, Feels like so an acid trip ago, doesn't it? It really. I wouldn't know. It's always frightened me. So, um, so you had all of these mobilisations around the country, and they were incredibly diverse. 
Like they yeah. were some of the most diverse protests I've ever been to. Yeah. And you had women who were screaming for justice and, of course, that mobilisation outside Parliament House. The one that Scott Morrison famously said, it's so good that we live in a democracy where people can do this sort of thing. In other countries, not so far from here, they'd be met with bullets. Yeah, which was absolutely not the way to handle that situation. Of course, Brittany Higgins spoke yeah. at that demonstration. Yeah. And looking at the demographics of who left the Liberal Party in terms of, you know, their traditional electoral base, women have left the Liberal Party. Yeah. Women used to run the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party um, founded in 46. Um, the, the origins of the Liberal Party relied on the volunteer labour of women yeah. um, for their party fundraisers and their infrastructure and their volunteer base and, you know, hilariously for a party that doesn't believe in quotas you know, it doesn't believe in promoting women, like doesn't yeah. believe on a mechanism to allow to promote women against the patriarchy, was absolutely, has had crucial reliance on a female vote and a female organising base. Yeah. Well, those days are over. Kos Samaras, who's one of our one of our preferred pollsters because, you know, the modern <laughs> modern left-wing couple. Yeah, you've got to have, you've got to have your own poll. We have a short list, yeah. We yeah. do have a short list. I mean, we have more than one. Yeah. But Kos Samaras had some data out today saying the, um, the vote for – uh, for the Liberals in women under 30 is like 20%. Yeah. Like, and they're not coming through because they see the Liberal Party and the way the Liberal Party behave and don't promote women and aren't represented And there's all by sorts women. of historical reasons and rationales for that, right? We've talked before about Australia essentially being a Menzian hawk country. Well, of course, when the Liberals were founded by Menzies, the union movement was predominantly male. The union movement now is predominantly uh, women. It's led by two powerful women in Sally McManus and Michelle O'Neill. Uh, the Labor Party, of course, has quotas and has a majority women in elected positions. Uh, the Liberals chose not to have quotas. So, like the 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 very nature of the parties in terms of their gender makeup themselves has changed and shifted. At the same time, that hardening of rhetoric against women, particularly against empowered women and the empowerment of women at really ramped up within the Liberal Party. And, and we saw it a little bit under Howard. We saw a lot of it under Tony Abbott. Uh, we It sort of dropped off a bit under Malcolm Turnbull and his more sort of Menzian approach. I think he realised at some point someone's going to need to hand out flyers at booths and it's probably not going to be uh, a bunch of blokes who who haven't ever done it before. And then, of course, Morrison came along and was like, I believe in head of the household religious theory and women should cook, clean and be wives. Yeah, we want equality but not at the expense of men. Yeah. Yeah, that was a quote. I mean, and Abbott, of course, you know, the greatest gift a woman can give a man is her virginity and all kinds of interesting folk tales. Um <sighs> Oh, so creepy. And, uh, well, this is the thing. Like, so their support among women is absolutely hemorrhaging. Yeah. And obviously there's a huge amount of analysis that is coming from their side that identifies the blow-up around the Brittany Higgins allegations as a reason why. Yeah, and look, and and I get that, right? But (laughs) the way to deal with that is probably not to double down uh, and- Attack more women. And attack more women. And also, as uh, is the conversation is going in a direction, I don't think they're 
understanding that the direction is coming in. But, I mean, this is the thing. The allegations are based on an alleged incident that happened in 2019. This really blew up around uh, 2021, 2022. This was when um, uh, the time of the National Press Club, the time of the March for Justice, you know, those kind of mobilisations, and it became a big issue. Uh, uh, The court case fell apart because yeah. of juror misconduct. And one would think, given the number of just appalling political statements, that the, the, the it was just a series of unforced errors from the then Liberal government. The fact that Linda Reynolds, who was Brittany Higgins' employer yeah. and whose office the alleged incident took place in, described Brittany Higgins as a lying cow. And, and having to settle a defamation case. And had to settle a defamation case like... You know, and what do people know? When did they know it? One would think the Liberal Party would want to put this entire Surrey incident behind them. But this brings us to the flooding the zone, right? And and this is why my view is this is this is part of a strategy, not a tactic, right? Because strategically, the Liberals are nowhere, for, have been nowhere for the last year. Don't forget, the end of June, we're going to have cheaper childcare. We've already got cheaper medicines. We're going to have the largest minimum wage increase we've seen for most of my lifetime. We're starting, we're having all these things start to come through. We're about to hit the winter recess where Parliament will rise for, for most of July or all of July. Um, the Liberals need to reset, right? And, and I think this is part of their strategic reset. If I was a Liberal Party strategist, apart from hating myself even more than I already do, I would be looking for ways to break the dominance of the media cycle because at the moment, Albanese has it. The one, and the one thing, the one kind of weakness, if you like, in the Albanese media narrative is actually, believe it or not, and I hate to say this, but it's been on social policy. What the Conservatives have managed to do with the no campaign uh, around the voice Merck. is is Merck. It's is a muddy. Merck campaign. And they've muddied it up, right? They've muddied it up. They've made it seem confusing. They've they've gone, you know, why are they focusing on this now? It shouldn't be now. We've got all these other issues. They've done that really quite successfully. Now, that's not to be critical of the Yes campaign. It's to say that flooding the zone is a... Tactic that works for those who are in a strategically weak position. And the no campaign is in a strategically weak position. Mm. Their argument is essentially we shouldn't recognise the First Nations of this country and we shouldn't give them a voice and policies that impact them. That's their fundamental position. Yeah, that's what and a no vote weak. means. And it is shockingly weak and it goes against every principle of Australian fairness. The yes position is very clear. We should recognise our First Nations people. We are a continent and a country of 60,000 years plus uh, heritage and culture, and we are richer for that, and First Nations people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, should have a voice on issues that impact them and be able to be heard by government. That's their position. Now, where we've ended up is this weird kind of media debate where the Merck gets flooded by people like uh, Warren Mundine, uh, who will say literally anything right. to be the centre of attention. Now, so so he's out there doing that. And I think the Liberal Party strategists are picking up on this, right? I think they're picking up on this. They're going, we cannot win the economic debate. Firstly, 
Angus Taylor gets the numbers wrong almost every time he opens his mouth. So he's our shadow treasurer. That's not going to help. And economic issues are not associated with Pegadon at all. Not associated with Pegadon yeah. at all. The the teal seats full of women who and represented now by women who are competent, intelligent, usually from a business background, perceived as being of good economic standing. We can't attack them directly. What are we going to do? We're going to have to muddy the waters. We're going to have to flood the zone. We're going to have to bring the Labor government down into a muck so that people get confused, so that people get angry, so that people go, why is this happening? They're all the same. And because nobody blames the opposition for this stuff, right? Like this is traditionally when you're in opposition, it's the government who is seen to be in charge and because the government is. One of the really unique characteristics of, um, well, not totally unique to Australia, but unique to the English-speaking world is the prevalence and the pervasiveness of the Murdoch media and its capacity to actually change what's being discussed, right? And the bandwidth. It's got the bandwidth. Like literally has the bandwidth. To, to, to go, you know what? We know the government's got announcements about industrial relations reforms or uh, more rights for women uh, or childcare or whatever. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to devote page after page after page to muck. And it's just going to be messy and it's going to be mucky and it's going to be he said, she said, when did she say it? Look at the intrigue, look at the fascination, all of that Bannon-esque stuff, they can actually do it. But we generally, as people, go, well, the government's in charge. The government's in charge of government, not in charge of the media. No, and where else can the Liberals and the interests that support the Liberals, where else can they really go? I mean, this is one of the interesting things that's happening in this parliamentary cycle. Love him or hate him, and very few people hate Anthony Albanese, very, very few. He's extremely popular. Albanese's real strength as a politician is his mastery of parliamentary process. Yeah. And he has some very experienced parliamentary players, notably Tony Burke, who is part of his core team. So to to be a party of government, to get to that position, you've got to have a breadth of skills in a number of different areas, parliamentary tactics and skills. Then there are the policy brains and then there are the bean counters, like, and then there are the, you know, the campaigners, campaigners, lovable popularists. Like this is the difference between a party of government and a minor party circus. Yeah. And Albanese is renowned for his mastery of parliamentary process. And he has absolutely whooped Dutton on parliamentary process for the last year. And this is the thing. Like, Dutton's got nowhere to go. And Albanese is, yeah, I mean, cornering the Liberals into taking positions they don't want to take, opposing things they don't want to oppose, you know, getting them in a flummox, getting bills through, working with the crossbench, you know, and creating a space using the teals to go, well, these people are happy to reach compromises and deliver for their electorates. What are you lot doing? Yeah. You know, and very constructive negotiations with David Pocock, who, of course, replaced a Liberal, picked up former Liberal voters in Canberra to become a senator, working very constructively with Pocock and, and, you know, very, very 
sophisticated deal making and engagement. And Dutton can't like glove on him. No. And one of the and so where are the Liberals going to go to have effect? They're going to go to their media brokers. And how just um, just amazing that all these incredible leaks are appearing in the Australian, in the Murdoch owned press, in the Daily Telegraph. In the Murdoch Press. And when we talk about leaks, we're talking about a hard drive that was at the project that was seized in a police raid around yeah. um, the Bruce Lehman case yeah. that was supposed to be in an evidence. Locker somewhere. Yeah, which all, all of a sudden is in the possession of journalists. I mean, how, how very interesting. And some other extraordinary things that have been leaked now at this point and, in Murdoch publications. And this is the thing, right? So now there's claim, claim and counterclaim. And I, and I get that and it's, it's also a little bit frustrating, right, because I know Labor has to defend itself. And I know Katie Gallagher has to defend herself. And and these leaks are serious and potentially criminal, right, about how this information has found its way into the public when, in fact, it shouldn't have been, it should have been sealed, all the rest of it. But, of course, what does it do? It takes Labor off message. Well, so the, the leak is specifically around Katie Gallagher. Yeah. Brittany Higgins actually made a big deal about not wanting to hand over her phone to the yeah, police because yeah. she didn't trust them. Yeah. And she made that point at the time she yeah. didn't trust and them. and it's been reported widely. Reported widely. Wow, what a coincidence that the text messages on her phone between herself and her partner, David Shiraz, um, are suddenly appearing in Murdoch publications. And I want to be- Somebody has provided Brittany Higgins' phone to and text records- to Murdoch publications. And I want to be really, really clear about this, right, this idea that somehow or another um, Brittany Higgins, who has uh, who has made these allegations, who believes that she has had this experience, this potentially criminal, certainly traumatic experience, uh, somehow or another that her and her partner trying to find ways to get justice by reaching out to members of parliament, some of which represent them in their electorate, mm. um, is inappropriate or wrong, or that them expressing frustration with their employer who they feel hasn't backed them in or hasn't supported them is somehow wrong. Like if that happened to anybody in the workplace, you would expect there to be messages calling the boss some pretty rude names that we can't say on Apple because we signed a terms of uh, terms of service. Let's it, let's apply it to you and me, right? If something happened to me, I was sexually assaulted, and I was, or if I was sexually assaulted, yeah. if I had come to you and said I have been sexually assaulted, yeah, right, you as my partner, um, in that conversation where I have made. That allegation. What are you? What are you going to do as my partner? Turn the world upside down. You would. You would turn the world upside down to get me justice. You would absolutely do that, and we would have frank conversations, partner to partner, text message, in person, the rest of it, and use bad language. Yeah, we would. Which is what been known despite the the podcast. We have been known to do that. We have been known to do that, and we would strategize a response. Yeah. 
We you know, if I was in such a state that I was alleging that I had been sexually assaulted, justice had not been done, you and I would have all kinds of conversations. As as most people would, right? <laughs> like and I'm just and this is this is the thing that those conversations from uh, f- have been entered into evidence. Yeah. And that evidence has now appeared in the pages and of the Australian. We should say it was entered into evidence and it was decided by the court that it was not relevant to be presented to the jury because they were considered to be conversations between partners, right? But it was still sealed. This is the thing that gets me. This is the thing that gets me. This is the little detail that I picked up on, right? Is that some of the conversations between Brittany Higgins and David Shiraz were not actually presented to the court, uh, to the jury, in front of the jury, because it was ruled that they were not relevant to the case, but they should still be sealed because obviously it's a person's private phone and therefore shouldn't be made publicly available. Okay. And so one of the conversations that took place was a suggestion of talking to Katie Gallagher about it, who is, of course, a senator from the ACT, which is where the two of them at least working, and I think one of them was living there. Yeah, yeah. So, and David Shiraz is not some rando. David Shiraz is, I believe, a former journalist. He's been a media advisor, and he understands how the political conversation works. Yeah. So you can imagine, like you, frankly, and if something happened to me, and we would discuss what could be done about it, who could be called. Yeah. You don't. This is what anybody would do. Yeah. With any power that or influence they had. Yeah. So. This is the suge- the suggestion from these text messages is that David Shiraz would speak to Katie Gallagher, who he knew, like who he, yeah. I don't know, I don't believe they were friends, but they yeah. had an association. And there's some conjecture that she attended his first wedding. And sure. it's like if you don't like if you don't think politicians go to weddings for political reasons, <laughs> we should sit down and have a discussion yeah. in Canberra and explain how power works. Or you could just watch a few seasons of Game of Thrones. But, but so, yeah. This is the this is the thing, right? They're trying they're trying to flood the zone with all of this stuff to try and make it seem as though somehow or another this is the this is the Albanese Labor government's fault or a problem or a, and I think I think Peter Dutton even used the word conspired, right, that this is a conspiracy. Like, it is not a conspiracy to seek justice. It is not a conspiracy to reach out to an elected representative and say, something has happened. We believe something has happened. Will you please ask a question about that? I've worked in political offices. And look, not every person who asks their MP or senator to ask a question is going to get that question asked because there's just a lot of questions and there's a lot of constituents. But sometimes they do, right? And sometimes it's innocuous. Sometimes it's about funding for a football ground. Sometimes it's about whether or not there was sexual misconduct in a ministerial office, right, and whether or not it's being covered up. So the so the allegation being aired in the Murdochy parts of the media um, is that Katie Gallagher knew and was part of this conspiracy, right? And uh, part of these allegations, so Katie Gallagher, as we speak, has just given a speech uh, about this saying, I didn't know. So there was a question asked of Katie Gallagher in uh, Senate Estimates, I believe, I don't know, um, not recorded in Hansard when um, 
uh, what I think it was Linda Reynolds said to her, you knew two weeks before this all kicked off, you had been told that there were these allegations, why did you lie? And Katie Gallagher said, I did not, I did not know, I did not know at the time. And the accusation is that Katie Gallagher was in on this this conspiracy and knew about it and in this non-handsard recorded conversation that was picked up in by microphones that she lied, she lied to the parliament and the rest of it. And she's given a very powerful speech today going, not only is this not true, but I want you to be very aware of what you are doing. You are saying to every woman who makes allegations of sexual misconduct or sexual violence that they can, especially against a powerful, influential person, that they can expect to have their name dragged through the mud, uh, their their privacy destroyed, um, their partnership questioned, uh, every single, op- like the, yeah. the, the right of people to air allegations, seek justice and have And any, their attempts to seek justice. And their attempts to seek yeah. will be absolutely trawled through mud, made the subject of muck. Do you understand what you were doing? And that's, that's really, I mean, that's the core of this issue, right, is that if, and if you don't believe Brittany Higgins's allegations, then you can kind of go on this merry jaunt of conspiracy and um, who said what when and who knew what when. She was a liberal staffer. Yeah, and this is the point though, right? The point I'm trying to make is that, and that's sort of where they're at, right? Basically they're saying we don't believe her, right? And I think it's a conscious thing. Right? I think they're consciously saying we don't believe her because if we believe her, we've done some terrible things. But if we don't believe her, then we can continue to pursue this strategy, which is a political reset strategy, which allows us to try and find some ground after the winter recess of parliament. And and you know, it's really awful. Like it's really horrendously awful. Because quite frankly, they are they are once again, not even for the first time, but once again using Brittany Higgins as a pawn in a political manoeuvre. Now, they'll say, and they are saying, the Labor Party used Brittany Higgins as a pawn in a political manoeuvre. Now, I don't believe that's true. I believe that Brittany Higgins, frustrated with what she perceived to be a lack of support by her employers in the Liberal Party, undertook actions to try and have her case heard, to try and have these allegations aired, to try and seek justice. Now, whether that involved members of the ALP or the Greens or the Teals or One Nation doesn't really matter. Actually, it doesn't matter at all. What matters is this was a woman who believed she was being denied access to justice, who sought justice, who had a day in court ruined by uh, juror misconduct. misconduct and is now once again being used for a political purpose. She didn't choose to do any of this, even if everything the Liberals say is true, which I don't believe it is, by the way, even if all of that were true, none of this does anything to further the course of justice. None of it. And I've got to say, I mean, you and I were talking about this. I obviously am very heavily involved in survivor networks. I'm a former organiser of Melbourne Slut Walk. Like, uh, this is, this is unfortunately, 
an area of expertise yeah. for me. Yeah. And very sad, very painful personal experience. And I get disclosures of sexual violence from people yeah. at various like events in all kinds of contexts. And it's always heartbreaking. It's always absolutely unbearable to get a disclosure. Yeah. Um if somebody discloses to me uh, that they have been the subject of se- sexual misconduct or um, sexual violence or abuse or any of those yeah, things. This is an adult who does this. Yeah. This is an adult who does this, obviously, yeah. an adult. There is a recognition that that's not, as the listener, not my story to tell yeah. and not my confidence to betray. Yeah. Obviously, when it comes to children, the law is very clear, bang, you yeah. go straight to the authorities. Yeah. But an adult making that kind of disclosure is a different yeah. conversation and you are not at liberty to speak on somebody else's behalf and exploit their confidence and yeah. you'll notice, like, at a lot of feminist events now, especially ones that deal with issues around misconduct and sexual violence, there will be trained counsellors to hear disclosures, to not put people in really complex emotional situations yeah. because you may be disclosing to another survivor and everybody can be re-traumatised. Like, it's hard. It's hard. It's messy. It's horrible. The reason why sexual violence is so traumatising is because of the flashbacks, the memories, the feeling of powerlessness, you know, the fact that every time I hear a disclosure from another survivor, it's that reminder that it's it's never going to end. Yeah. It's never going to end. And I think a lot of people are going through this in the wake of this constant rehashing of the Brittany Higgins story is the the reminder that, you know, even if you do report, you know, like even if charges are late, even if you make it as far as court, like justice isn't, there is no guarantee for justice. There's not even a supportive environment for justice. It is it is hostile and it's adversarial and it, and it just, I can't, like it's just, just makes me really sad. And mm. and Katie Gallagher's speech today was she was like, do you understand what you are doing to to survivors? It's like, well, the question is not whether they understand, it's whether they care at all what they're doing to survivors. Like it's flooding the zone with re-prose- like re-prosecuting the person who made the allegations is what's going on. Yeah. And and just for there to be a murky, horrendous conversation so they can, you know, address whatever the reports of their campaign analysis from the, the losing federal election campaign were is just it's unspeakably evil. It's unspeakably evil. It's it is absolutely horrendous. <sighs> and you know, I wanna I wanna thank you because I know a lot of people I know a lot of people uh Want to thank you for for your strength in talking about it, Van, because it isn't it isn't an easy thing to talk about. And you know, if, obviously, if if us talking about this has uh, upset you or you need help, please do reach out to support networks. Please do you know reach out to your own support networks. Reach out to professional counsellors. Uh, it, it is a terrible thing that is happening. Oh, and can we just, you know, and the postscript, because everything is awful all of the time, 
In the context of this, we've had the hit job on Lisa Wilkinson, who is one of Australia's best journalists. Yeah. We're completely out of context comments yeah. were used to smear and demean her yeah. baselessly, absolutely baselessly, merely to drag her name through the mud for engaging with this story. Just appalling, appalling. And now we have Linda Reynolds uh is pursuing a defamation action against Tanya Plibersek because Tanya Plibersek gave an interview the other day where she spoke about the fact that the allegations were concerning because of the appearance of a cover-up of uh, a cover-up pursued by Britney um, Higgins' employers. And the language used by Tanya Plibersek in talking about this yeah. was very judicious. Nobody was named. Yeah. But Linda Reynolds has decided that this is defamatory of her and is seeking um is seeking uh, an, a public apology the payment of her lawyers or will so, take it to court and isn't it amazing that the australian ended up with a concerns notice isn't it amazing that they just fell into their hands it well it is abs- the concerns notice of course is the letter that um uh gets sent from one party to another Notifying them of the concern of defamation, it's you know it it is absolutely disgraceful that the Liberal Party continues to view women and and some of the most horrendous things that happen to women as political opportunity as pol- as a as a opportunity for political expediency. Because let's Van, I want to I do want to talk about some of the other stuff that's going on, right, because there's other stuff happening and the reason why they're using this, the reason why they are using such an emotive, such a complex uh, issue to flood the zone is because, quite frankly, we are still living in the legacy of Morrisonism economically. We are still living in a situation where Inflation is outstripping wages growth, even though we've got the strongest wages growth we've had in a decade. We've got more people employed in the last 12 months than any government in Australia's history in its first 12 months. We have more women in full-time employment, by the way, as well, than ever before, more women in full-time employment. With economic policy led by, oh, Katie Gallagher yeah, to is- support Women's equal economic rights well, in the workplace. Labor's about to deliver cheaper childcare at the end of this month. Uh, and, of course, today we've seen that even though the business lobby squealed and screamed about the increase in the minimum wage and how inflationary it would be, it hasn't been, by the way, squealed and screamed about that, even though they're squealing and screaming and running pretty racisty ads about, They're pretty racisty, aren't they? About the same jobs. That's the technical term. It's yeah, racisty. Same job, same pay, which would mean that you can't use labour hire to undercut your employers. Sally McManus was on Q and A this week, talking and talking about one airline. I'm happy to say, it, Qantas, uh, that uses twelve labour hire companies to undermine its own workforce. Some of which it owns itself. BHP owns its own labour hire company. They have run these ads that are racisty to try and say somehow or another you won't get paid uh, according to your experience or your expertise, totally ignoring awards, totally ignoring bargaining, totally ignoring all of the other elements because they don't want to pay people more money. All of this campaigning that's going on 
from the neoliberal side of the ideological spectrum is happening at the same time CEOs are getting massive double-digit pay increases. Listed companies, these are companies listed on the stock exchange, CEOs saw an average of 15% increase in their pay packet last year. Average. That's the average. 15%. 15%. Now, these are the same people who kick off about a wage price spiral if the lowest paid people get a like a single digit increase. Yeah, that's right. So and and let's be clear, they they're also Ben's having a fairness aneurysm. Oh, because it's just outrageous. <laughs> you know, at the same time they're executives, oh, they they're only they're only seeing they're only seeing uh, pay increases uh, of about ten percent in their exec for their executives. So the CEO is getting fifteen, but they're only getting ten. They're putting offers on the table for their workforce below CPI, below the inflation rate. The dog is scratching himself with rage. You can hear that in the background, I'm sure. But the they also, by the way, on top of that fifteen percent pay rise, many of them are entitled to bonuses of almost 90% of their wage. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Exactly. What? Right? So these squealing pigs who have come out against pay rises for workers, pay rises for the lowest paid workers, they've come out against, it's just mind-boggling. Now, look, there are not, not every... CEO, not every managing director is against pay rises. I get that. There are some who are trying to run ethical businesses. There are some who don't pay themselves, you know, $2 million. They only pay themselves $250,000 or whatever, right? Still very good wickets. You won't find, and and there are reports make it very clear, even in the not-for-profit sector, you don't find CEOs on bad wickets, right? They're getting paid far above the average wage, let alone the medium wage. And I don't object to that. But when we start to talk about multiples of 50, 60, 100 times the average wage, let alone the median wage, when we start to talk about people who are spending millions of dollars of shareholders' money making bit racist ads and ads that infer workers are bludgers, right, to stop them from getting the same pay as each other because that will mean, and I think it was BHP who said, that will cost us $3 billion. That's $3 billion that should be in the pockets of workers, you grubs. Like, we need to be really, really clear here because this is the fight that's going on in this country, right? The reason why Dutton is flooding the zone is, is and, and it's terrible, like, it's so terrible. Oh, yeah. Well, I just had a little cry. Yeah. Full confession, everybody. Just had a little cry. It is so terrible. Bit of post-traumatic stress disorder in the corner, everybody. Because there is no moral justification for this level of greed. No, there is absolutely none. And, and there's no economic justification for it either because if the past 40 years have taught us anything, trickle-down economics does not work. And greedflation is real. 
The OECD has now said that it's real. That communist Matthias Corman. Everybody really should read my last column in The Guardian, which Absolutely. mentioned that communist Matthias Corman. I don't know if you guys remember him, but he was Minister for Finance um, under the Liberal government, yeah. under Morrison, and he was the one who said, oh, yeah, we're deliberately suppressing wages in Australia. Yeah, we're doing that deliberately. We're maintaining high unemployment in order to suppress wages. He said that. He is now running the OECD, which is you know, peak representative of the most powerful economies in the world. And the OECD, under the leadership of Matthias, oh, yeah, we're artificially suppressing wages, Corman is saying, oh, yeah, greedflation is a thing. That is what is driving the inflation problem is greed, greed, greedy, greed, greed, greed. All right? That's that's where we are. And we see in the US where they have taken steps around these issues, inflation is coming down, right? So make no mistake why the Liberals are doing what they're doing why they are flooding the zone. It's because they're losing the economic argument because people are sick of seeing the greed of CEOs, sick of seeing wages not keeping up with the cost of living, sick of having the Reserve Bank underpay its own workers, 1,200 people underpaid millions of dollars by the Reserve Bank, the very body which says that we should all just do a bit more work and possibly move in with our parents or our old housemates from uni or TAFE or wherever. Yeah, because that's a normal thing that people in their 40s do is they just move in with their with their parents who presumably live in, let me guess, five-bedroom homes in Glen Iris. Is that, is that where we're all supposed to live? I love the reality they live in. I love they think that home, a home, like the, the middle-class parental home is just an option for everyone. Hey, guys. The majority of people don't live like that. Did you know? Did you know? No, they don't know. So let's let's just remember that the Liberals don't want us talking about those issues. No, they don't. They don't want us talking about the fact that they're blocking the Housing Affordability Future Fund. Ah, with, with our other Greens. middle class friends, the Greens. They don't want us. What a fun party that is. They don't want us to have a national debate around the tax and transfer system. They don't want us to look at the tax incentives that flow to the richest people in this country, the incentives that allow companies to pay such exorbitant salaries to their CEOs. Tax benefits for keeping properties empty during a housing crisis. There are so many economic levers that need to be pulled. And, you know, the more that Labor gets bogged down in the flood, in the zone, the harder it is for them to reach for those levers. What an amazing coincidence that they're targeting Katie Gallagher. What a coincidence. The finance minister. The finance minister at the time that the housing policy is being debated. I, How interesting. The Greens and Liberals getting together. Housing policy, policy is supported by David Pocock. Housing policy is supported by Jackie Lambie. But the Greens and Liberals have got together to block it. And what do you know, at this time when... Australian after Australian after Australian, their frustration with housing is everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. We are in a situation where the finance minister has been embroiled in the most cruel, hateful, victim-blaming framed nonsense you could possibly imagine. It is sick. It is sickening what they're doing. It is, and I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Look, but I want to talk about those mineral council ads. <laughs> Very quickly. They're a bit racisty. They are a bit racisty. And I don't know if they mean to be a bit racisty, but there's one about, you know, you're not going to get paid for your experience and the inexperienced worker 
Um, is a young brown man. Is a young brown man. Uh, and the experience. And he looks working. like he's confused and he's scratching his head funnily, weird, like kind of funny way. And and in the you know, and you won't get paid for your experience, right? And then the one which is you won't get paid for your hard work. There's a guy. Oh, and the person with the experience is the white woman. Yeah, and the, and then mm. the and then the one where you don't get paid for how hard you work is there's a, a white guy digging a trench by hand. It looks like, like with a shovel. I mean, that's a pretty unusual way to do that now. We have tools that are beyond shovels. You think the minerals council. Well, anyway, moving on. And then there's another younger worker, um, you know, on his phone, sitting off on the grass, yucking it up, having a good time, right? And somehow or another, those two workers are not, you know, they're, they're not going to be treated the same. You know, it, it totally ignores the reality of awards and recognition of, of levels in awards and in collective agreements. And, by the way, like managers and supervisors' role to make sure the people are properly trained to know where and how to use particular things in a nursery or, you know, to make sure that people aren't yucking it up on their phone when they're supposed to be digging a trench by hand. Again, weird thing for someone to be doing, like two blokes digging a trench by hand, you're not going to see a lot of that. Um, so... It's a. It's Get a, only two blokes. Yeah, just two blokes. Just Somewhere. two blokes. Somewhere. Digging, digging a hole. Digging a hole. Digging a hole. By hand. But one of them's on his phone. Outrageous. And they're in high vis, so you know they're clearly like workers because mm. they're in high vis. Like it's this kind of. I know that the actors in that particular commercial, you can't really see their faces. Yeah. And like, you know, cost of living is an issue for everybody. I don't begrudge actors taking paid work. No, no. But one know. gets the feeling that they were like, you know, I don't know if I really want to be associated with this, but I desperately need money. It's a bit like the old fake tradie commercial. People might remember from the 2016 uh, election. The 2016 election, you yeah, know, the fake tradie. Uh, let's just give them another go. Um, well, you, you know, that didn't work out so well. The, these ads are weird. Uh, they're a bit racisty. They're definitely very classist. Oh, they're so classist. There's this kind of assumption. Because that- what we need in this country more is uh, we need cultural products that humiliate working class people as dumb bogans who hold the work, who hold the jobs that they do because they're not good enough to do anything else. I think that's really helpful. And the, the only thing that working class people want to do is not be working class anymore, uh, and that's why they're two blokes in high vis. <laughs> digging a hole by hand where one of them is toiling away, literally mopping the sweat from his own brow while the other one is yucking it up on YouTube. I also don't think there is a nursery uh, anywhere in the country where there is a young brown man who doesn't know how to use the, you know, the rose gun uh, spray uh, and is just left to his own devices. Uh, And it says he's only been there for six months. Like, these are very clearly, very clearly attempts to turn working class people against each other and also very clearly attempts to turn middle class people against working class people to make us look down at each other. It's, it's quite horrendous. You know, there is nothing in Same Job, Same Pay that prevents people from becoming managers and getting paid more. In fact, Qantas pays its labour hire managers less then it pays its directly employed workers who they are managing. So this concept that somehow or another your expertise or your experience or how hard you work is going to be punished by this 
The reality is the system that is constructed, the system that was built under Morrisonism when he was a minister under Abbott, when he was treasurer under uh, Turnbull. Turnbull, when he was prime minister, when Dutton was in that cabinet, the system that has been built and perpetrated and perpetuated for 40 plus years is punishing people right now for their experience. It's punishing people right now for their expertise. What same job, same pay says is if you do the same job to the same standard and you have the same experience, you're going to get paid the same. You can't be outsourced and then rehired. You can't be hired through a labour hire company. We'll take a clip of your wages, by the way. You can't be suddenly gigified into quote unquote self-employment. But I find it hilarious in those ads as well. They're like they make the point of going, oh, when they talk about same job, same pay, they're talk not talking about men and women, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, they are really, because we know that women overwhelmingly are the ones who get casualized and work in unstable industries. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. So you structurally, buddy, you are. Again, Katie Gallagher is Minister for Women. women. Yeah. Hasn't she been pursuing some kind of equitable workplace kind yeah. of initiative? Yeah. And let's and let's we can get really deep onto that because it's in the care industries where we're seeing the rise of ABN, sham contracting. We're seeing the rise of use of labor hire. We saw this in hospitals many years ago, and the fight back that the nurses' unions in particular and the health sector unions fought back against that so that actually nurse-patient ratios, for example, help prevent the use of massive amounts of labour hire and casualised workers. And, in fact, now the workers have got to a point in some of some of those industries where they use labour hire to get the flexibility they want and they get higher wages, right? Now, this is the point. There's nothing, and Sally Man has made this point. And by the way, if you're not a member of your union, you're listening to this show, you've got to right now log on australianunions.org.au slash wow, join your union. Join your union. Because as Sally McManus said on Q&A, if the government was proposing a law that would stop people getting paid more, she would be the first person to campaign against it you and I would be number two and number three. Absolutely. And the two-plus million union members that exist in this country would be right there alongside us. That's not what this government is doing. This government is not stopping anyone getting paid more. It's saying you can't pay people less. And that's why these 15% per annum increased CEOs and their buddies at the Mineral Council are putting out slightly racisty, bit weird, Classist ads. Oh, just. And we should talk about some good news. We should. Do you want to? Do you want to talk about good news? I've got some good news from Tanya Plibersek, who is Minister for the Environment. Tanya Plibersek, Minister for Environment, being sued by Linda Reynolds. Um, and that's I, not the good news. That's not the good news. That's absolutely not the good news. Although it could turn out to be very funny for everyone. Um, the really good news is that four, five days ago, Tanya Plibersek made an announcement that after a meeting with all of Australia's environment ministers. In an Australian first, they are, and everybody who listens to this show's, show knows that I am obsessed with ocean plastic and it haunts my nightmares, um, they're bringing in packaging guidelines. So at the moment in Australia, there's like a voluntary code and yeah. voluntary design standards and it's not working. Yeah. Uh, you know, companies just 
aren't really making a voluntary commitment to reducing plastic waste. What, you mean the CEOs who just gave themselves 50% yeah, pay increases so- and won't voluntarily increase workers' wages by the same amount, won't voluntarily reduce uh, plastics because no, it'll trash, cost them money? Trash the planet, oh, I reckon. Oh, what a surprise. Um, yep, and as Tanya says, this stuff is littering our oceans, choking animals and ending up in landfill, yep. and it is going to be a hell of a process, but they are absolutely bringing in regulate they're regulating yep. packaging and this is this is transformative because it cuts waste it boosts recycling like it it change it changes the output of waste and i'm there are targets design standards the whole thing and adding recycled content constantly yep. reevaluating whether there are harmful chemicals in food packaging yep. as well all of this is just fantastic and the fact that there's a concerted united effort amongst environment ministers to enforce these standards, environment ministers and state governments, is absolutely fantastic. At the moment, 3 million tonnes of packaging is going into landfill in Australia this year. It is the equivalent to 200 billion chip packets. I don't think I could eat that many chips. You know, and if anyone could, it'd be you, but no, so that's what they're doing. And I want people to appreciate it's really important for countries like Australia to show leadership in this area. Like, yeah, absolutely. We are a wealthy nation and we can, and people will talk about, oh, well, China and its coal-fired power stations or India. We are a wealthy nation where our per capita GDP is high and we have a responsibility to put in place systems that keep us with a high standard of living but also ensure that we don't destroy the planet in the pursuit of that living. And we know we can do it. The technology is there. You know, it may mean that some of these 15% per annum increase CEOs have to drop back to 9% or maybe maybe even just maybe they can go back to 5.75. Maybe they can have the same as the people on minimum wage. I'm very angry about this, Van. The horror. I'm very angry. But, you know, the people – who make this show possible. And there are lots of them. The people who make this show possible, who listen to this show, who've been listening now for- 138 almost, episodes. 138, almost almost uh, three years. We've had uh, nearly a million downloads. We've crossed well over 900,000. We're well on the way to a million downloads. It blows my mind every time I say it. You share, you like, you talk, you send comments. The questions from listeners we're going to get to on Sunday. We've had a few of those come in. Yeah, so if you have questions about economics or the political process, send them to us. The week on Wednesday at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. People send us stuff there, good news stories, whatever. And we'll do our best to answer them. But people who chip in, we appreciate it so much. And every week there are more people, and we know it's hard out there for people, but all that money goes back into the show. It goes to extending the reach. It goes into getting more listeners and our cadre who chip in 20 bucks a month, our Extend the Reach listeners who chip in 10 bucks a month, and our Buck a Week members and our one-off contributors, we appreciate you too. But our cadre and Extend the Reach, we give a shout-out to because we know it's not easy to make that commitment, but you have and you do. We appreciate it. And you make this show one of the best charting shows on Apple News and Apple Podcast charts in this country. So, Van, our cadre are... 
Joe Lockery, Steph Karina Barley, at Jan C. Campbell, Leona Gibbon, Shane Horsfall, Terry Butler, Jack Power, Gal Ferguson, Rebecca Fanning for Longman, Matthew Hadley, Colin Kelly, Ellie Vance, Mary M, Love Your Work, Yeet Yeti, Annie Balden, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akiva Burris, Kristen Sakluna, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aiken, Trish, Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Jed Carney, Kristen Cole, Ross Kenner, 888, Tamara James, Bronwyn, Punch Drunk Veteran, Jenny Forster 7, Bronwyn Cockington, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandra Tui, Ian Hampson, no Twitter for me, Hannah Honda, Matt Bush, no relation, Richard Sands, I'm not on Twitter, Glenn Robbie, Brush Daniels, Carly Phillips, Linda Cartwright, Leanne Shingles. I don't have Twitter. My name is Susan Mize. Kerry Nash 20, Billy 3, McCabe, Nurse Simon at Katagal, Lauren Ash and Banjo, Naranga Man, who we saw in the street the other day. Hello, Naranga Man. John Sharp and Peter Bath Louise Watson, also known as Red, White and Blue Lou. And our Extend the Reach supporters are Helen, Jeremy Moe, Rosie Elliott, Lara, Robert Notfield 1, Michael Wiles, Sanj Kelly, Dorena, Kathy Hay, Donald Vaughan, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron Tri Dragon, Daniel Akrazy Keza, John DeHaan at, at Ange Fennel. Anna Uran, Kathy Burgess, Melanie Dinning, Jody A, Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, at K Knot, at Didums, Sharon Kelly, Beck and Lola, Richard Gravers, someone, Vita W, Nandita Hannum, Laurie Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham Oxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Hoden, Honan, at Galvez, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, Elian and Andrew, Ivis Billet, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Hadid, Kim Patterson, Lizette Twizzle, Bunk and Basher, Katie Ward, at The Real Never Longbody, Sandy Baumgart, at Not Sandy B, Renee McGee, Stuart Munn, Munn Blagoya, Matthew Case, Marky Mark, at Vic M. Bitt, Adrian Valente, Mitzrit, Mizritza at Carriedale 68, Frank Nihus, Erica Pizzuti, Joe Lupino, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Carrot, Kerry Arthur, and Pauline Bate. And I have a numb tongue. Just it's numb. Congratulations to all of you for helping make this show the success that it is. You know, we appreciate that you let us have uh, the occasional uh, Sunday off now or the occasional Wednesday. We will continue to do that, I think, as we go forward. Uh, just so that we can bring you high quality analysis and discussion when we do have these episodes. Dog is asleep on Van's lap. How cute is he? We will be back. I will be back on Sunday. I will be answering some questions that people have sent. Remember, you can send in your questions too. Uh, I may not get to answer all of them because I do like to try and keep it a bit shorter because these episodes are getting longer and longer every Wednesday. We hope you're enjoying it though. Until Sunday, love you, Vanny. Love you too. Bye. Bye.